1: to another edition of the mfg cast we are here to do a review another review um
0: i was gonna wait to talk oh cool Why do you keep looking at me like i that? don't
1: know you look like you're gonna I'm all, talk
0: i'm all up in your grill you are <laughs> yeah
1: another awesome review by cosmos you may know them as Thames and Cosmos, but mostly they put on their games Cosmos, which is kind of weird, don't you think? Like, what? wouldn't you just put Thames and Cosmos instead of just Cosmos? But whatever. Little things.
0: Yeah, it doesn't bother me.
1: Ah, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Apparently, they're, it's bothering him.
1: Yeah. Uh, we're going to be talking about Roll for Adventure.
0: Fate lies in your hand.
1: <laughs> awesome. Sorry, I
0: really wanted to Yeah, say you
1: really did, didn't you? You really I
0: did. It was killing me. <laughs> it was killing me.
1: Uh. So tell us a little bit about Roll for Adventure.
0: So Roll for Adventure. It's a two to four player game, ages 10 and up. And it is a game that was done by Matthew Dunstan and Brett Gilbert. And illustration and graphics by Franz Vollwinkel.
1: Right, so let's let's tell you the story behind "Roll for Adventure."
0: Fate lies in your hand.
1: <laughs> okay, that's not the whole thing. That's just they just put that underneath. I know it's
0: really exciting though. <laughs> it has an exclamation point behind
1: it. It sure does yes. for drama.
0: I know. Speaking,
1: speaking of drama, the old kingdom is in grave danger. <laughs> Dispatched by the master of shadows, enemy armies are attacking from every direction. Now only you can save the ancient kingdom by banding together and destroying those armies. During the game, each turn consists of several dice rolls. In this cooperative game, all the players win when they have received as many power stones as their chosen adventure board specifies. All the players lose when the Master of Shadows and his armies conquer one of the four territories of the kingdom, or when no player has any more dice available to defend the kingdom. Will your team of adventurers defeat the Master of Shadows? You almost ran out of breath there. I sure almost did.
0: (laughs) There were a couple words where I was like, what did he say in that (laughs) weird accent he was using to read that overview.
1: Yep. Go uh, go look at the rule book if you don't understand my bad... Accent. Yes, exactly.
0: Yeah. Apologize for that. Mm Mm-hmm. He takes full ownership. I didn't do it.
1: So basically Roll for Adventure is kind of a dice rolling cooperative cooperative game. You're almost, you're almost, it's weird. There's a lot of different things with this game. It's like you're taking dice, you're rolling the dice, you're getting certain amounts on the, or certain values on the dice or on the dice. And then you're placing them on your board, depending upon which part, uh, which game board you want to basically kind of defend. You can change it up with different uh, abilities and stuff like that. Um, everybody has their own characters that kind of have their own special ability during the game. But, yeah, there's, just a, there's a lot of cool things going on with this game.
0: So, visualize this. This is a little peek or whatever on what the game looks like. So, the game board isn't your traditional game board. It is pieces that kind of hook together with these little snips that connect. So, there's a side A and a side B. And each piece is kind of cut into a triangle. And so there's different sections of, I would almost call them worlds. Mm-hmm. So there's a, like a forest and an ice and a, like a sand kind of world and a cave kind of world. And I'm totally probably off on what those are actually called. But then they all connect. And it doesn't matter how you put them together, but they all make one square board. Mm -hmm. And then you have pieces and parts to the game that go off on the corners to basically complete the game or to help you play the game. Mm Mm-hmm. And then, like Kurt said, you have to do certain actions, um, roll certain um, numbers on dice, and make some choices on what you need to do to be able to work together cooperatively to be able to beat the Master of Shadows, beat other... What do they call them?
1: They're enemies that work for the Master of yeah. Shadows, basically.
0: beat other enemies in the game without having them basically knock you down out of the game. Or prevent you from running out of dice because if you run out of dice and you don't get them back, then the game is also
1: over. Yeah, so basically they they call them territories and all four territories you're kind of defending from getting this... They have skulls that start at this left side of the track on each territory and if they get to the other end where the skull is, at least one of them, then you lose the game because basically you're unable to defend the territory. So like we'll kind of talk about the A-sides because there's a lot to this game and we'll kind of... Like, slowly mention some things, you know, other than what's with the A side, and there's some other variables that go into it, but we'll kind of focus mostly on the A side. Okay. So, like Tracy said, like, there's a desert side, so it looks like you're, you know, it looks like a desert. It's, like, kind of yellowish.
0: Sand dunes. Yeah,
1: exactly. And on this one, what you have to do is every time you roll, you want to roll ones. So, every time you roll, you want these ones, and you'll place them on these, there's three spots. And once you fill up these three spots, then you'll actually take transfer one of those die from the first one into the second category, which has another three dice on it. And then once you fill that up, then you'll take another one, and you'll basically kind of throw it into the vortex of oblivion, which means anytime you finish a spot in one of these in one of these territories to get a gem, gem to kind of finish your um, adventure and every you know everyone is different because there's like I think like six different ones or whatever and you, it depends upon how many you know what the difficulty is there'll be more gems or less gems and this is the thing you want to get the mo- all the gems to win the game.
0: But the key is not to just focus on like the desert and the goal of rolling just ones because otherwise you're going to die <laughs> yeah. before you complete and get a gem for rolling the ones because who can just roll ones all the time? Yeah, exactly. So in other territories, there's other objectives to being able to acquire or receive these. They're not actually called gems. They're called power stones. Mm-hmm. Um, to be able to acquire or receive these power stones as you, uh, meet this criteria or accomplish these missions.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, so like I said with the desert, so then once you, once you get to that, Last, you know, once you get those last three ones or whatever, and you you take one of the one, a choice of one of your die, depending upon the player, and you put it in this vortex of oblivion. So, let's kind of talk about the vortex of oblivion really quickly before we move on. So, basically, anytime you get to um, basically um, uh, complete a spot where you get one of those, uh, what did you call it? Power Uh, stones. Power stones, sorry. I should know that by now. <laughs> we played this enough. Once you get one of those parts, you have to sacrifice one of your dice and you have one of the dice that's been used and put it into the vortex of oblivion. Well, this is where you can lose all your dice if you're not careful between the players. So all of these dice will go in the middle of this vortex of oblivion, which is kind of like a little circle vortex in the middle of all the connecting boards. And to release them, there's another spot off to the side that is your
0: isn't it a resurrection?
1: Yeah, a vortex of a resurrection. So when you roll at another choice during your turn to release those dice from the vortex of oblivion is to put at least a value of ten or more dice in this vortex of oblivion to release it. The only caveat
0: You mean of the resurrection?
1: Of the yeah, of the resurrection. Yeah, sorry. And the only caveat of putting dice in there is that anytime you put dice in there, if you put more than one die in there, it actually has to be the same value. So if you, if you have three, you have to put a couple of threes in there. If you do sixes, you have to put a couple of sixes in there. So that can also kind of harm you when you're trying to put more dice out on the board to, you know, get these other power stones. Okay, so then we'll move on. To, we pretty much talked about the desert. So then we move on to the fortress, which is kind of like a, your black territory. And on this one it's got four dice of twos, threes and fours. And once you complete the four sets or once you complete the four sets of dice, then you take this barrier off basically. And then you have to get all the fours, all the threes, all the twos and once you have all the barriers released off of it and they've got these little tokens, then you'd get a um you get a power stone there. And then to do it again, you would basically put the berries back on and you would try again. Same thing with like going back to the desert. You could do that thing where you do the ones and then get rid of a die. That's not the end of the the desert. You can do that as many times as you want if you decide to do so.
0: So if you're hot and rolling ones or the twos, threes, and fours, then those may be the territories that you want to stick with, but you're also doing cooperative, so... Yeah, exactly. I mean, the sky's the limit. The next territory was the forest. And that one is on the side A would be rolling fives and sixes. And they don't have to be structured in any particular way. But you have to roll a certain amount. And then you reach your first barrier. And then that barrier gets removed. And then all the dice go away. Um... But let's say you only have a five and a five and a six on there, those stay on there until you reach the first barrier. And then once you've reach that first barrier, then they come off along with the barrier. And then you go and you basically start that over to remove how many barriers are on that one?
1: There's four barriers. And it looks like the first one you need six, the second one you need seven, then eight, and then finally nine.
0: And so then once you so you're basically starting it, removing a barrier, starting it again, removing the next barrier, doing it again, you know you get the point. Mm-hmm. And then once you get to the very end, you remove the barrier and then Oh, no, you get a stone every single time, though.
1: Yep, every time you remove the barrier, yes. For some reason, I had
0: stuck in my head that you do, you really have to make it really hard on yourself. <laughs>
1: yeah, you yeah don't get, definitely don't do you that. You don't either.
0: really get a stone till the end. So once you remove the first barrier, you get a stone, but then you have to start over again to add an additional die. So you're basically starting over, adding additional die. Then you get another stone once you remove that barrier and you keep going, so on and so forth. I think once that one's done, though... You don't No, you
1: can restart over again you just can. like the other ones. Yeah? I don't think we ever did that. That's because it's hard, it is super
0: duper <laughs> it's hard, super hard, unless you're hot at rolling fives and sixes, which we have been at yeah, some games. Yeah. But then if you're really
1: good at rolling Yahtzees. This is the game, for
0: but you. then the enemies <laughs> come out too, so they take those away. Um, and then the last territory is called the Ice Cave, and I totally had um, made up different names when i was talking about <laughs> <laughs> combining the boards but it was it was all about interpretation thank That's you right. That's cosmos right. and themes um <laughs> so the ice cave is there's this one's probably the most detailed i would say of all the territories so you have they have it laid out so you can roll this is kind of the miscellaneous territory. yeah miscellaneous territory i would say so you can place any of your dice from one to six on there. There are dice spaces from labeled one, two, three, four, five, and six. And then once you get, once you have four dice on there, then you, I can't remember because I have side B stuck in my head right now. Um, You receive a bonus. You receive bonus dice. And then those, the dice that you originally laid out, laid out on there, those go away. But the bonus dice will help you if you're, Um, Becoming short on dice, let's say you have a lot of your dice maybe in the Vortex of Oblivion, or you just need a few more to finish a a certain portion of one of the territories to get another power stone. Mm -hmm. If you decide to continue to go ahead and the team acquires and places more of those numbers on there, You can't place more than one one on there or more than one two, anything like that. But they place a few more on there. The next step is to you'll collect the bonus dice and you can defeat an enemy. And we haven't talked about the enemies yet, but we'll talk about those in a minute. And uh, it'll be instead of the four dice that you have to collect or that you have to have for the bonus die, if you wait and you want to do five, then this one is the bonus dice and defeating one enemy. If you want to chance it and wait and leave five dice on there and hope no one takes any of them away, then you can actually receive bonus dice. You're able to defeat one enemy and reset damage, which means moving that counter that Kurt was talking about, with the skulls, on the bottom.
1: Yep, all the way back to the left. Yep, and that's for six dice.
0: And that, yep, that's for six. But remember, it's one of each one through six. So you can't have like three threes and a four and a one or whatever. It's one of each of them that you have to have on there. So basically a run one through six. Yeah.
1: So the ice cave is cool because it helps you kind of do better in the game and gives you bonuses to kind of help solve it, but it doesn't actually reward any power stones. So that's why it's a little different from the others.
0: Right, but it but then once if we talk about the bonus dice a little bit more, once you use those, those go back mm-hmm. so that you can go back to the ice cave and utilize those again, mm-hmm. so they're not out of the game, but you don't keep them in your hand the rest of the game, yeah, so they're kind of like a one use die or dice, and then you um have to give them back again,
1: yeah, so talking about like okay, so how does the how does the um, damage track start getting worse? And how you know how do the where do the enemies come in? Well, once everybody is done rolling their dice and taking their action, then the, the enemies get to attack. So when you're looking at the rankings of these cards, when if if there's already an enemy that's already or enemies that are out on the table in the different territories, if you put another enemy out and their rank is higher than the ones that are out, they will actually attack again. So you're not only having the guy that you put out that you flipped up from the top, that enemy, anybody that ranks lower is also going to attack, so you have to keep that in mind. So what you do is you would take from the top of the enemy stack, and you'd place it in the um, territory that it's attached to. So like there's the, the desert enemy, the fortress enemy, the forest enemy, and then the ice cave enemy. So anytime you draw one of those, what you do is first you'd compare your ranking on them. So they have numbers from one to, I want to say four, I think. And if like say if there's only one on there, the one got the one enemy that's on the board would either A drop that drop that damage down one, getting closer to the the um, ending of the game, or if you have dice on the board, depending upon which enemy is, it would actually take a die or dice off the board. So, like for a desert and en- so like for like a desert enemy, it, in the side A version, it only takes one one pip die off the board, okay? Because it's on the desert spot. The fortress enemy would take one die from every fortress section.
0: And remember, on that one, you're collecting a two twos threes and fours in quads yep that's a quad to quad right? quad yep quads so i mean that can really mess with you because you could be certain something really magical yeah in there and now this bad enemy comes in and swipes away one of each of them if you have yep. them or two, whatever you or have Yep. yep
1: yep exactly a forest enemy um you're placing the fives and sixes on the board well this forest enemy if if you have dice there it will if you don't defeat them first will take a five and a six away.
0: Or whatever you have. Yes, correct. So, or now, I shouldn't say yeah. or whatever you have, but if you only have a five or it, you only have a six, it will take it. It anyway. would
1: take at least that, yes. Yep. And then the, uh, the ice cave enemy will take, depending upon how high the dice are. So first it will take a, it will only take one. So it would take, if the highest number was a six, it would take away the six. If the highest number there is a four, it would take away the four. So it just takes the highest number that's in the dice row and basically just puts it in the Vortex of Oblivion. So to defeat these enemies, you actually have to have a total value of six or more on a given enemy for them to go away. So an, another thing that happens when you're rolling these dice, which is something that I think, is, I, I think that we kind of screwed up on at the beginning when we first played this game, is that you can only have the value of one one die pip on there. So like if it's, Three. If you want to put a three on there, you can only put threes on there on your turn. If it's you know fours, you can only put fours. Like everyone else can add to it, but it has to be the same value of die on there to defeat that enemy.
0: Oh, I think we. Well, I feel like a lot of times I always try to roll a six and place them on there. So I don't remember us using multiple dice a lot. Yeah, but but there are also special heroes. That may assist with, a, like, make you to work a little bit differently for you, too.
1: Yeah, definitely, definitely. And then, also in this game, you're you're trying to keep the enemies out, but you also have the Master of Shadows that gets shuffled in. So when he is revealed, what you would do is all enemies that are already revealed and placed on territories are going to attack, regardless of where their rank is. And... Okay, Kurt, now move on to putting this in with the Master of Shadows again. And then after all enemies have attacked, if and all enemies are out there with the Master Shadows, then you roll a large territory die and then do the following. So if it has one territory on the die, then that means you're doing double the attack on that, on that territory. So instead of one attack, it would be two attacks. And then if it, you roll it and it has all territories on it, that means all territories are going to take one damage. And then if you're lucky enough, there is a side of the die that has no territory on it, and it receives no damage. Uh, Once you've you've dealt with the Master of Shadows, you shuffle him back in. He consistently comes out. And if you're unlucky enough to get to the bottom of the deck, and he's the only one left, then he's the one you fight until the end, until you win, or he wins, (laughs) which is pretty crazy.
0: The game allows for you to be able to add special enemies, so you can add what? They're tough. Oh, I'm like, why are you saying that to me?
1: I'm having flashbacks. He's having anxiety. (laughs)
0: Okay. So you're able to add the dragon, the phantom, the giant. And what these are, I'll talk just very briefly about what each of them are. We were able to play with each of them. So the dragon is different because it's very, you never know when it's going to pop up. Mm Mm-hmm. Just like the Master of Shadows when you shuffle it in. Yeah, true. But the dragon is gets shuffled into each of your stacks also, but you never know when it's gonna come up. And basically what the dragon is is it is there's six cards and they have dice hips on the top of them, one through six on each of them. And if the dragon is revealed, it attacks all the dice on the territories. So each of those, the forest, the ice cave, all those, the four that we were talking about, and the vortex of resurrection. So if you're working on trying to bring your dice back, but you haven't reached the um, amount that you need to, to basically rescue your dice, if that dragon reveals that number, so let's say that dragon flips and it has a two pip on it, And there's twos out on your game boards, basically. And there's somebody's placed two twos in the uh, Vortex of Resurrection. So if those dice are revealed or if they're on the territories or in the Vortex of Resurrection, all affected dice are immediately moved to the Vortex of Oblivion. So that middle section that you basically are your trash dice, They all get moved there, and then the card is discarded. You won't play with that card anymore for the game. If that dragon is flipped and no dice can be removed, then nothing happens, and you got lucky. So that did happen to us a couple times, but we did get burned.
1: Yeah. Literally. (laughs) Ha (laughs) ha! Dragons! Fire! Burn!
0: I didn't even try to do that. Boom. So that was pretty brutal, especially if you're... um, What happened to us is the five or the six dragon got revealed and we were trying to complete the forest which is five all fives and all sixes and he completely wiped out our whole mission Mm -hmm. basically in there so that sucked the next one is the phantom basically with the phantom he can change his appearance he can basically take on the role of another enemy i don't know how many of these cards there are i i kind of feel like maybe there's six might
1: be six just like the other ones yeah
0: So if, um, you mix these into the deck too, if he's revealed, you first compare his rank with the rank of all other enemies that are exposed. And then all enemies with a lower rank, they actually attack you again. And then with the Phantom, that territory die that Kurt was talking about that is used for the Master of Shadows happens. So if you roll it and one of the territories appears... Then the Phantom attacks that territory as if it was a normal enemy of that territory. So that that's where it's taking on the role yeah, of that territory. Yeah. It's basically a copycat.
1: Yeah. Luckily, it's only attacking it for one instead of two, like the Master of Shadows would.
0: If you roll the die and it, it uh, rolls all territories, then he attacks every territory as if it were that territories or all of those territories' enemies. And if it's nothing, then we're lucky. Again and i think that happened to us a couple of times.
1: Yeah. Yeah, we were it was a little easier for us with for the phantom than it was the dragon. I feel like the dragon the dragons were pretty hardcore when it comes to trying to win a game.
0: So, really the goal when you flip a phantom is to be able to defeat him like a normal enemy because you're going to want to do, be able to defeat him with a die of 6 or higher on him otherwise i believe he can keep coming back, can't he?
1: Well, I think it it stacks. So the fa- if you don't defeat one phantom, if another phantom comes out, then depending upon how many there are, you could th- roll that many times and it could really destroy everything.
0: He can be placed face up next to the board. It can attack again in the future. And then the last one is the giant. And this one, he is what he is. Giants are very powerful, and they like to Smash thing. (laughs) They like to smash (laughs) smash. smash. So when a giant is revealed, all the enemies that are out at that point, and the ones that have lower ranks, so rank one or two, um, they actually attack again. Mm -hmm. Even if they've already been revealed, he basically triggers them to attack again. Yeah, which is crazy. Yep. And then he also brings in the use of the territory die again, just like the Master of Shadows and just like the Phantom does. But with him, um, the territory die, if he reveals one territory, then he'll inflict damage on the territory. So those little cardboard skulls that I was talking about, the markers or whatever moving up, you actually move them up to shorten that damage tracker on whatever territory is rolled.
1: Yeah, which is crazy because it's permanent. You can't affect it, <laughs> which is sucks.
0: Yep. Yeah. Well, you mean you can't fix it?
1: Yeah, you can't make yeah. it go any yeah any further to the right. I guess.
0: Yep. So that's on the one territory. If you would roll the one with that shows all of them, he it happens on every single one of those. <whistles> yep. And then if you don't roll it on any territory, then obviously nothing happens. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And if you don't defeat him. He can attack again also, just like the Master of Shadows, or not Master of Shadows. Well, Master of Shadows can attack again if you filter him in, but just like the Phantom can. So he's defeated just like all the rest of the enemies with six or more, and you can't fix if you've permanently damaged your territory by having that skull marker. I wonder if that has a technical term. And it's just called an end-of-game marker. (laughs) I called it a skull marker that makes sense because they have skulls on them that's right again he can make your game end if you can't go any farther just like the skull could Mm -hmm. reach the end there is also the the variability that kurt was talking about earlier with the side a and the side b we're not really going to talk about side b too much because it's so different well Quite a bit different, yeah. but basically those triangles to complete the square board flip over and there's differences between um, what the territories can do to be able to collect or to be able to roll dice and place them. So the desert, you complete chain tiles and uh, to get the power stones, mm-hmm. the fortress, you do twos, threes. And fours also, but the barriers are displayed a little bit differently on there. There's several barriers versus just one barrier, right? Mm-hmm. I think that would be the biggest difference. And on the forest, it is still the fives and the sixes, like on side A. But once the fives and the sixes, you start with sixes on the left side and fives on the right side. and once they meet is when the barrier happens. It doesn't have to be at a specific spot, but then there's what drives the barrier to be removed is a certain different die roll. So Mm -hmm. if the five and the six meets and the barrier is there at a certain point, it could be that you have to put a four Mm -hmm. or a three or a two or a one or whatever. Um, It makes more sense if you actually see that. And then the ice cave, this one's a little bit different too, because... This has kind of like some grid work. So if you place, you can place whatever number die dice next to each other, but they can't be like two fours next to each other, um, the same values next to each other. But as you go across or up and down or left and right or whatever, you can receive certain rewards. So you could receive bonus die that they work the same way as having to give them back like inside A, to reuse them again, you can move that tracker from the bottom with the skull back up again, one space or two spaces, those types of things. So this one's a little bit different also. So there's just total different variability on side B.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a lot of variability with those and the, the enemies. Uh, the one thing you missed, which is, I mean, we didn't even really, we didn't even really, doesn't even really matter, but like, if you wanted to, they actually have blank enemy cards, so you could actually make up your own enemy, which I think is cool in a way. But also, I don't know. I don't know if I'm smart enough to make. I an skipped enemy. it.
0: That's why, because <laughs> I was like, we'll never do that.
1: <laughs> that's gonna be a challenge. I'm gonna do it. I will do it. That's
0: why I I, I did skip it because I was like, yeah. eh, well, it's cool.
1: It's it's challenging you to make up your own stuff. So then you know it can even have more increased variability, and you can kind of feel like you're part of the game. You know. Let's talk about some pros and cons of this game. One of the pros of this game is that it is got lots of variability. We just talked about it, you know, with the enemies and the A and the B side. There's just different ways to play this, and it it doesn't get stale. I think it's one of those that you have to play multiple times to really get into it. Like, when we first played this game, we weren't very satisfied with it. We kind of were like, well, I don't know. It just seems like, you know... Just your run-of-the-mill dice chucker and stuff like that, but it really has a lot of good strategy in it. And depending upon you know what cards you you know mix in and what side you're playing and stuff like that, you know it could really it could really you know really um, spice the game up a lot, which I liked. What are some of the things that you liked about it?
0: I agree with you. I think the variability makes it probably what it is. Mm-hmm. Because if you want just the basics. You can play just the basics. If you want somebody who is going to try to annihilate you into the ground, you can pick one of the other guys. You mm-hmm. can pick a, the phantom. You can pick the giant. You can pick the dragon. For just those pieces, if you are sick of the front side of the board, you can play this the side B of the board. You can play side B with the, with the characters or without the special enemies. With the special enemies. I mean, there's so much different, but like you said, I think that when we first got it, we weren't really sure after the first play that we really wanted to play it again. Mm -hmm. So it is one of those where we had to play it again to be able to realize what was here. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: And then we wanted to play it again, and Mm -hmm. then we wanted to play it again, and then we wanted to play Mm -hmm. it again.
1: (laughs) Um, I think another pro about this game too is that even if you're playing two or three or four players i don't feel like anything's missing i feel like you can get just as much out of this game depending upon any player count you know you have to probably make more choices the more players you play you know because you're like okay do I do you want to put your dice here and do i want to do this here with two players like we actually got two extra dice from a different color so we actually got more dice to work with to kind of help out stuff like that. Like I don't, I don't feel like this game is affected by player count, which is cool. Right, I agree. What about some of the cons about this game?
0: I would say maybe one of the cons would be I maybe the art wasn't my favorite. Mm-hmm. Usually that's one of the first things that kind of catches my eye. It's not like the colors weren't there because it is a very colorful game. Like good choices of like the bright red and yellow and green and blue and things like that and the the game board with the double-sided and the colors and things like that were great. I didn't care for the art necessarily but I also didn't necessarily have to pay attention to the art when I was playing it but the cover of the box also didn't drive it home for me to want to get it either but there are other games out there that the box doesn't do the game inside of the box justice Mm
1: -hmm. yeah i think like just with our last interview like with travis and david from winsmith games like you know sometimes the front of the box really can help drive a game's selling point like you know we talked about it like just it front of the box is very confusing like i understand it's adventure and like and you know we're you know we're fighting against the master of shadows and his minions but it feels very busy on the box art and i'm very confused by it and i feel like even though i know exactly what i'm doing in this game just like you said Tracy i'm kind of almost forgetting that fighting it's an adventure game you know i just feel like okay i'm going to defeat those enemies okay i am a hero let's go do this you know it, it feels like the story of the game is not quite on it where you could probably be like Okay, you guys are in space, and you are fighting space aliens. Like, you could easily just put anything on top of that, I think.
0: Well, and and I think just looking at it in general, like, the enemies and stuff tend to come across more evil in the game. And I don't know that on the outside of the box, it seems more, like, easygoing, friendly. Not friendly, not like teddy bears and stuff like that on the outside. And I don't know if that was the meaning of it for 10 and up on the outside, but then in the inside, it's not like haunting and stuff like that with the phantom, but like the enemies inside are a little bit, they're, they're a little bit more, um, I wouldn't say cartoon or the enemies inside aren't as cartoonish as the outside of the box. Gotcha. I don't know how else little, to explain little, it. A
1: little more hardcore. A little, a little more, bit. You
0: know. They're. Even though they're really not hardcore, no, but no. I mean, I looked at the outside of the box and I just thought we it was a kids game that we were, and it and it is a game that a kids that kids can play, mm-hmm. but it just I don't know.
1: Yeah, and I also think that another con about this game is if you're not a dice rolling fan, you probably won't go to it anyway. Right, but I suppose that's probably if people are seeing that this is a dice roller, they wouldn't if they are into it, they wouldn't be. Listening to the review, I guess. Right. So let's talk about what we think about this game, what we would rate it. So we've got our rating scale. So you've got your collection keeper. So it's like one that you would keep in your collection. You would play more than you know once every six months. It'd be one of those that you every time you kind of pass by it, you're like, oh, I really like to play this game. Let's let's see if we can play this game today or this weekend or whatever. Then you have your fair player. It's going to get your fair amount of plays, but it's not going to be the first thing that you go to, but it's going to get quite a few plays in it. We also have Overlooked. It's going to be one of those that anytime you look at it, you go, eh, maybe something else. And then maybe you play this once every year, once every six months, maybe. And then you've got your Unfortunate Passer, which is one that we didn't quite like. So what do you think about Rule for Adventure?
0: I would pick Fair Player for this game. The reason why I would pick Fair Player is because I think that it surprised me. I would say... That I like a good dice rolling choice making enemy fighting game just because I wasn't a fan of the art doesn't mean I have to look at it. it wasn't the it wasn't like my least favorite, but it wasn't my favorite art I don't know i I think that when we were playing it a lot to review it, I mean we played it a lot mm-hmm. And I was okay playing it back to back to back to back with all the different variables. And I think that's probably what makes it a fair player is the fact that it has so many different options to be able to have the side A, side B, throw in these guys, take out those guys, play this side, play that side, do all those different kinds of things, and then be able to mix and match and do that kind of thing. And I like dice rolling games.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I feel like, I feel like if we only played this a couple of times, like we had a time crunch, and we're like, okay, well, we have to do this review. I think we pro- it probably would have been a passer for me, because like you know, like we said, the first time we played it, it just really didn't resonate, you know, and then you know we decided, you know what, we need to go more in depth with this because it's got so much variability in it, and let's let's go and let's you know you know, play this more and, you know, put those different enemies and flip it to the B side and see what we can do. And it like, it really brought out this game. Like, you know, when we've talked about this, I think in the past, like we haven't played, I don't think any game by Cosmos that we haven't liked, you know, there hasn't been a dud in there, you know? So it's, it's nice to be able to, you know, play a game and just, you know, just be able to want to play it more and more. Like, I think it's one of those things where if you took this to a game night and everybody played it once, and if they didn't like it the first time, they might not go back to it. I think it's one of those that you have to kind of play with your group a couple of times and be like, "Hey, here's here's more to this." And with the even with the different heroes, like some heroes, their abilities to me, I'm like, "Yeah, I don't really think this will help me," you know. But then you get this other character, and you're like, "This character is awesome. This character will be like." Can't remember which, what some of them were. It was like, one of them was like, "If you want to place." Excuse me. If you want to place two dice on a spot, you can actually do. You can choose one of your dice to be the same value as, as your other die. So you know, there's a lot of different things here that really you know make it a, an interesting game, and you just you just have to play it. You know, which is it's hard to it's hard to do that in this this day and age because I feel like a lot of a lot of the board game enthusiasts they get like a million games and they go, I'm gonna play this once and then it sits on the shelf and then maybe they'll play it again, maybe not, because then they're you know, they ordered three more of the hotness.
0: Or they're gonna play it once and they don't like it. So then they're like, bye. Yeah. But I think we talked about this game on another episode, and they kind of felt the first that they, they felt that way on their first play, too.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: they had to play it again, too, didn't they?
1: Yeah, I think so.
0: So, I mean, as long as people realize that it I mean, not every game is going to click for the, oh, man, I gotta do this again mm-hmm. kind of thing, because once it clicked for us, we, I mean, we probably played it three or four times in a row. Mm-hmm. Because it it's fast enough, too. It's not like you're taking up you know, your whole day yeah. to play the game. I don't know how long. I think it depends on what choices you make and how many, you know.
1: How many de- players. And-,
0: and if you get annihilated right away. Because we did have some games where we were like, oh, yep, we're smoked. Oh, we ran out of dice right away or something like that. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, I have to tell you, it surprised me.
1: Yeah, yeah, me too. Because
0: I, I really thought that I was going to be like, nope. And I like to go into reviews with my... Mind open, and I was really trying to, and I think I feel like we gave this one a really fair chance. Yeah,
1: definitely. So if you're looking at trying this game, like give it give it a shot. Give it more than one. You know, give you do the variability. You know, just really, you know, really give it a shot. Don't just it's 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 one of those games, kind of like how we talked about with Concordia. Don't judge a book by its cover. You know, it may look like it may be kind of dry and boring, but once you get into it. It's a good game. Yep. So, yeah. So, go out and try it. And that was Roll for Adventure.
0: By Thames and Cosmos. Yeah, that's right. I always mix it up, whether it's Cosmos and Thames or <laughs> Thames and Cosmos. Yeah.
1: So, have you tried Roll for Adventure yet? So, if you have, why don't you let us know? At at MFGCast on Twitter. Join our Facebook page. Get in the conversation. Like, let us know what you think. Was it something that... You know, you saw and you passed on it, or was it something you played and you're like, Wow, I really enjoyed this game. You know, let us know. We want to know what you think about it too. We're not just playing this for our opinion. We'd like to know your opinion on it too.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So So that's our review of Roll for Adventure. And that's it for this episode of the MFG cast. Until next time, I'm Tracy. And I'm Kurt. And this was we already talked about <laughs> that. This was from what it sounds Why? <laughs> because
1: and this was the mfg cast i love what you were saying it like as a question and this was the mfg <laughs> but cast? i already i
0: finished it really weird <laughs> <laughs> it sounded funny
1: <laughs> thanks for listening oh this podcast is a proud member of the legends of tabletop broadcast network